the 6th of March, 1886. Girl caught in boy's clothes. A fearful explosion. Clearing up of a mystery. The dark and bloody. The Nashville murder. And finally, the Holland trial verdict. All this and more on A Year of Crime, as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee. Please be aware that some articles published in 1886 used language that we find offensive today. It was my decision to report the articles as written during that time, in the belief that we must tell the truth about our history. Today's articles are from the Milan Exchange from Gibson County, Tennessee. Girl caught in boy's clothes. Last Saturday, Marshall Lusk received a telegram from Mattoon, Illinois, instructing him to arrest a lady dressed in a boy's cadet suit and military cap with ticket for New Orleans. It seems the girl had taken a fancy. If she was in New Orleans as a boy, she could see the sights and earn a living for herself. She is nearly 14 years old, had no baggage, and was alone. Her uncle, J.R. Cooper, arrived on the next train to carry her home to her mother, but left with her Sunday at noon, a happier and wiser girl. U.S. Commissioner Hahn secured suitable clothing for her before she left the hotel, then took her in his home where she received motherly attention from Mrs. Hahn and was treated as one of the family. It was a fortunate thing for her that she fell in such hands and was rescued before any harm had come to her. Her name is Inez J. Augustine, and her grandfather is Collector of Internal Revenue for the 8th District of Illinois. She was perfectly willing and anxious to return home, seeming to have had her eyes open to the desperate risk she had run. She says she has no desire to go to New Orleans now. At Philadelphia, on the 28th, Gottlieb Lentz, a German, cut his wife's throat with a razor and then shot himself with a revolver, both dying instantly. The tragedy was the result of jealousy on the part of the husband. The Mississippi Legislature has passed a law to define and punish the crime of teaching polygamous doctrines in the state or of persuading others to adopt or embrace the same. A number of moonshiners pled guilty in the United States Court at Birmingham, Alabama on the 2nd and were given an average sentence of 40 days and $100 fine. The Chinese must go. Portland, Oregon, March the 2nd. Between midnight and 2 o'clock this morning, a mob of 80 masked men visited the Chinese working back of East Portland, Albina, an eastern suburb, suburb of the city, and drove them out. There were 180 Chinese in all, and all of them were engaged in wood chopping and grubbing on the land lying from one to three miles back of the town's mention. The mob came to the camps where the Chinese were sleeping, routed them up, and ordered them to pack up and leave at once. The Chinese offered no resistance and allowed themselves to be driven to the ferry boat and taken to the city. The mob worked with great secrecy. The night was dark and the officers of the law knew nothing of its action until the Chinese arrived here and were marching up the street from the ferry at 2 a.m. If you're thinking, hmm, I've heard some of these stories before, you're right, you have. Those came from the Memphis Appeal. These articles are from the Milan Exchange, which apparently is about a day behind the Memphis newspaper. This next article is not about a crime in itself. However, it does show how dangerous life was in 1886. A fearful explosion. 26 tons of gunpowder go up in a flash, carrying death and destruction in its path. Three men literally blown to atoms. The shock felt 60 miles away. Zinni, Ohio, March 1st. 
The dry house, a Goss Station powder mill, exploded this morning at 10 o'clock and created the heaviest shock ever felt here. Houses three miles away were shattered, and the side of a bridge one mile away was blown off. Christy McCann, who was in the building, and Henry Flank, Franklin and Michael Haney, Teamsters, who were with the car alongside, were all blown to pieces, the remains being gathered up in buckets. The trunk of one of the men was found 100 yards away. None of Franklin's remains were found. The car wheels were thrown 150 yards away. Nothing is left of the building but a big hole in the ground. Mrs. John Cromwell, in a house some distance away, had her arm broken and her three children were slightly hurt. There were 26 tons of powder in the building at the time. A warehouse nearby with nearly 50 tons of powder in it had its roof caved in by falling timbers. A boiler that stood alongside of the building cannot be found. Portions of clothing and fresh flesh are hanging in treetops. The shock was felt 60 miles away. The little Miami Express train had passed about 15 minutes before. Christy McCann was 50 years old. He leaves a wife and one child. Henry Franklin was 40 years old and leaves a wife and four children. Michael Haney was 37 years of age and leaves a wife and three children who are in Ireland. The shock in this city resembled an earthquake, breaking windows and turning things upside down. The next section of the paper is titled Southern Gleanings. W.J. Ward, who murdered J.J. Palmer in Dale County, Tennessee in September 1883, is to be hanged March 19th, the governor having declined to commute the sentence. James T. Marler, who has been twice convicted and once sentenced to death in Crenshaw County, Alabama, for procuring the murder of Dr. Colquitt in 1878, has at last been acquitted of the charge. The jury in the case of John J. Oftimort, late redemption clerk in the subtreasury at New Orleans, found him guilty of embezzling $25,840, but strongly recommended him to mercy. Thomas Jones of Petersburg, Virginia, was found in a creek a few days since murdered. The deed is supposed to have been committed by some woodcutters in the employee of the railroad. W.C. Rutland, manager on Colonel Richardson's LaGrange Plantation near Greenville, Mississippi, while trying to prevent a Negro tenant of the place moving mortgage property a few days ago, got into a difficulty in which the Negro was shot and instantly killed. In the circuit court at Nicholsville, Kentucky, the jury in the case of Bob Smith for the murder of his stepfather, Old Man Jim C., last November, rendered a verdict of murder and fixed the penalty at death. This case is causing much excitement in that locality as it is the first time a jury has fixed a sentence of death since 1858. The little town of Cedartown, Georgia was thrown into a state of great excitement a few days ago over the arrest of a boy who was supposed to be Freddie Freeman, the 14-year-old murderer of his little playmate Alex Maudlin, whom he killed in Tacoa for $1.85. E. H. Bennett of Dallas, Texas, late editor of the Texas Cowboy and of the Democrat, was arrested a few days ago by a United States deputy marshal on the charge of attempting to bribe jurors in the federal court. Clearing up a mystery. A murder being brought to light by the confession of a participant in the deed. Toledo, Ohio, February the 25th. The mystery surrounding the death of Mrs. Thomas, alias Mrs. Smith, is being cleared up. Yesterday, Floyd Gaynung 
confessed that he bought the corrosive sublimite that caused her death on February the 10th. The druggist from whom he bought the drug identified him at the city prison. He told the druggist that he wanted it to make plaster. Ganung and Thomas are both under arrest. From letters found, it is known that Mrs. Thomas was first married to a man named MacDougall. She next married a man named Robbins and lived with him but one day when he left for Palestine, Texas. He telegraphed her to come there. She obeyed and afterward married a man named Smith, who was robbed and almost murdered at the Watson house and soon after died there. By the death of Robbins, she inherited considerable real estate both in this country and Belgium. Murder Will Out Discovery of the remains of Mrs. Sarah H. Graham in a cave near Springfield, Missouri with the evidence of a foul murder, the effect of the discovery on her bigamous husband. Springfield, Missouri, February the 26th. The body of Mrs. Sarah H. Graham, the missing wife of George E. Graham, was found yesterday by John Potter and other citizens of Brooklyn, who, with Detective Ed C. Davis, explored a deep sinkhole or cave on a farm of Mrs. Emma Molly, about four miles southwest of this city and about 50 feet under the ground, found the nude body of a woman partially decomposed. Near the body was her clothing. Death was caused by a pistol shot wound in the right breast. Other wounds had evidently been inflicted on the unfortunate woman, who, it is thought, beyond any doubt, is the missing Mrs. Graham. Her husband was married to Cora Lee, an adopted daughter of Mrs. Molly, in this city on the 18th of last July. He was arrested on the charge of bigamy a month ago. Last September, Graham wrote to his wife, who was with her parents at Fort Wayne, requesting her to meet him with the children at St. Louis. He also sent money to pay her fare. Mrs. Graham did as requested, and her people, not hearing anything of her whereabouts, since then suspected foul play and made a vigorous search for her. Graham and the second wife reside on the Molly Farm, where the body was found yesterday, and when he was told of the startling discovery, he turned pale and looked down at the floor, protesting that he could not get justice here. The case has been worked up by Detective Davis on the theory that Graham quietly brought his wife on here and, taking her out to the farm, brutally murdered her. He had taken the clothing from her body for the purpose of burning it to destroy evidence of the crime, but being near the roadside, he became frightened at the approach of someone and threw the clothing into the cave with the body. Assistant Postmaster Sewell at Wild Grove has been arrested for rifling registered letters. Gustav Moody shot Rob Rose in the face while in a state of intoxication at Clarksville last Saturday. Will Foster, colored, lured away the 12-year-old daughter of J.W. Seward and outraged her. Foster was arrested at Chattanooga. A man named All, who was arrested in Clarksville for brutally beating his daughter from which she died, has proved that she died with pneumonia. Alamo Sentinel Deputy Sheriff Hudgings informed us yesterday that a man by the name of Taylor, who lived on Bunk Sherrod's farm in the southern end of Madison County, was killed last Wednesday by a limb falling on him. Martin Mail. Last Friday, Doc Bailey, a newsboy on the Nashville and Chattanooga Road, was brought before U.S. Commissioner Clemens by Deputy United States Marshal Collier, charged with dealing in whiskey without license. He was tried and bound over to the U.S. Court at Jackson the fourth Monday in April next. 
R. L. Arrington of Humboldt has been pardoned from jail by Governor Bate. He was quite young. It was incarcerated for pistol carrying. Let it be a lesson to him and others. Deputy Sheriff Center of Humboldt was in town yesterday and arrested one Henry Farrell, colored, for disturbing public worship at the Colored Church a few miles from here. Henry now rests in jail, awaiting trial at the Humboldt Court. Our remaining articles are from the Memphis Appeal for the 6th of March, 1886. Accidentally shot, special to the appeal. Newburn, Tennessee, March 5th. Yancey Coleman, colored, was killed yesterday by Jeff McLaren in a restaurant and barbershop owned by Jeff McLaren near Z.T. Wright's Furniture Store on Main Street. They were fooling with a gun and pistol when the pistol, a 44 English Bulldog, accidentally went off and blew out Yancey's brains. McLaren had a preliminary trial before a justice of the peace and was acquitted. The Dark and Bloody Blood still flowing in the Kentucky mountains. Several men killed as a result of an old feud, the Nashville murder. Woodbine, Kentucky, March 5th. Blood continues to flow freely in the mountain section. The Turner and Howard factions, numbering about 50 on either side, have been at war for years. Every now and then a sympathizer on one or the other side is caught out and killed. So it has been going on until a number of graves scattered about over the country mark the progress of the feud. A few weeks ago, Gordon Turner and six of his Confederates killed William Lane in Bell County. Some little time before that, John Howard had stabbed to death Walker Burkhart. Yesterday was set for the trial of these parties at Pineville. Wednesday, another one of the Howards was put to rest in Bell County, and last night at this place, John Wolfe and James Wood, representatives of the respective factions who were here attending the trial, had an encounter in which the latter was shot to death. The Mitchell Murder, St. Louis, Missouri, March the 5th. The inquest over the body of Nancy Mitchell, found in Silver Creek some time ago, and who it was thought was murdered by her husband, was concluded this morning. A large number of witnesses were examined by the coroner, but the testimony failed to point to Mitchell as his wife's murderer. His attempt to escape, however, as soon as he heard of the finding of the body, tends to throw suspicion on him. The desire of the crowd, which followed the officers who had Mitchell in custody, was evidently to lynch him, but he was lodged in jail before the mob had gained sufficient courage to take him from the officers. Cold-Blooded Murder in Arkansas Little Rock, Arkansas, March the 5th. The particulars of a cold-blooded murder, which occurred Tuesday last in Christian Township, Independence County, reached this city. William Poole and a man named Evans, while en route home from Washington, Arkansas, where they had both become drunk, became quarrelsome and fought, Poole being worsted in the combat. After returning home and sleeping off the effects of his carouse, he shouldered his shotgun early Wednesday morning with the intention of killing Evans. He found the latter at his home and, without any warning, walked up behind him and shot him in the back of the head, killing him instantly. The murderer escaped. Shot his brother. Bolivar, Missouri, March 5th. Wednesday evening, Alonzo Z. Zwingle, a farmer living in Jefferson Township, this county, came here and surrendered himself to the sheriff saying he shot his brother, Siegel Swingle, instantly killing him. According to his recital of the affray, Siegel, having attacked him, shot at him once and was pursuing him to fire a second shot when he, Alonzo, shot him dead. Another brother, Grant Swingle, followed Alonzo to town, 
armed to take his life and avenge Siegel, who was Grant's favorite brother, but the fratricide had already taken refuge in jail. Bill Brown's Confession, Nashville, Tennessee, March 5th. Bill Brown colored one of the five Negroes concerned in the brutal murder of Frank Arnold, who was shot and stabbed, his head chopped off, and his body cut into seven pieces and buried in a tanbark pit, made a full confession yesterday in the criminal court. He swore that Arnold was dragged into a thicket and shot in the head by Simon Fox, who afterwards stabbed him twice in the neck. Arnold uttered several cries, whereupon Ben Brown struck him on the head with the band of iron. The body was carried some distance and buried. On the following night, it was taken to a stable where Simon Fox cut off Arnold's head with the hatchet and carrying it into the house, cut three bullets out of it with a knife. Ben Brown, Nelson Johnson, and Foster cut off the legs and arms and conveyed the remains to the city. The head was first placed in a creek and afterward hidden where it was discovered by the officer. Arnold was killed that Ben Brown might obtain some land on which Arnold resided. An attempt was made by the defense to prove that Ben Brown had once been a convict, but it failed. Bob McLinn, who was arrested in connection with the crime, is to be prosecuted for forging Arnold's name and for per perjury. The trial will probably end Saturday. The general impression is that Ben Brown will be convicted of murder in the first degree. Birmingham, Alabama, murder for the purpose of robbery, the editor of the Hornet in trouble, the Parsons murder case, special to the appeal. Birmingham, Alabama, March 5th, a horrible murder was committed last night at Scott's Station, 30 miles west of Selma, on the Cincinnati, Selma, and Mobile Railroad. When the midnight passenger train stopped, the conductor started into the depot but found the door locked. Suspecting, after repeated unanswered knocks, that something must be wrong, he broke open the door and went into the office. There he found the agent, Frank Koch, in bed, and striking a light, discovered that his head had been split open with an axe. Koch was alive, but too far gone to give any account of the assault, and died shortly afterward. The depot had been rifled of everything worth having, and it is supposed robbery was the incentive to the murder. A few years ago, the agent at Newburn, 12 miles from Scott's, on the same railroad, was killed with a crowbar in the night, and the depot robbed and burned. Koch was about 28 years old and unmarried. He lived here some two years ago. Thomas H. Ellis, editor and proprietor of The Hornet, the sensational weekly newspaper, now only four issues old, was arrested today on a capias from the United States court for sending his paper through the mails, the grand jury having decided it is obscene matter. Ellis gave bond and says he will continue the publication of his paper. The Parsons Murder the case of Nancy and Josephine Parsons, accused of the murder of Bennett Parsons, their husband and father, respectively, at the southern end of this county some 13 months ago, was taken up in the city court today and the jury impaneled. There are 85 witnesses altogether. And now here is the verdict we have been waiting for in the Holland trial. Holland acquitted. The slayer of Tom Davis again, a free man. New York, March 5th. The trial of James T. Holland for killing Tom Davis, the confidence man, was resumed this morning and the entire day was consumed in hearing arguments. When General Pryor concluded a telling address in behalf of the prisoner, the crowd in the court fairly made the building tremble with stamping of feet and clapping of hands. The case went to the jury at 7.30 o'clock 
and it was after nine o'clock when this judgment returned to the courtroom and read the jury's verdict of not guilty. Holland grasped the hand of each juryman with warmth and after receiving an ovation of the people present, walked out a free man. He will return to Texas in a few days. The jury agreed to a verdict of acquittal within 10 minutes after retiring. Bribery and Corruption Johnny McLean's disreputable methods in politics, his attempt to purchase a prominent Democrat by a direct offer of mail, Cincinnati, Ohio, March 5th. Mr. Isaac J. Miller, a prominent Democrat of this city and ex-president of the Board of Councilmen, was called before the Senate Election Investigation Committee this afternoon and offered some startling testimony. He swore that just before the last Ohio legislature passed the law taking away the police from the mayor and giving the control of the police department to a board of police commissioners, John R. McLean came to his office on 3rd Street and offered him first $1,000, then $2,000, and finally $3,000 to say that he believed police commissioners would appoint better men on the police force than the mayor would. He also offered, on condition that he made this statement, to support him heartily for mayor and to give more money to elect him mayor than he, Miller, would himself. These propositions were not accepted by Mr. Miller. Mr. Miller is the most active member of the Committee of 100, a nonpartisan organization founded for the purpose of securing a fair election in this city last fall. This is the first intimation of such charges against Mr. McLean, and Mr. Miller's testimony has created a sensation. Miller was chairman of the Democratic Committee of this county during the Hayes-Tilden campaign. Chinese driven out of Oregon by a mob. Portland, Oregon, March 5th. At about 2 o'clock this morning, 125 Chinese at Wood is woodchoppers and grubbers near Mount Tabor, three miles east of here, were driven out by a mob of between 60 and 80 white men, most of them masked, who marched them to the ferry where they were conveyed to this side. It was an exact repetition of the outrage committed last Sunday night in the outskirts of Albina. The Trafalgar Square Rioters, London, March the 5th. Eight men who have been convicted of taking a prominent part in the recent Trafalgar Square and Hyde Park riots were today sentenced at the Middlesex Sessions. All were condemned to penal servitude for terms ranging from one to five years. The judge justified the sentences by denouncing the so-called popular demonstrations of working men. It is well known, said his honor, that these demonstrations naturally tend to tumult and disorder. Sensation on the Paris Borsch. Paris, March 5th. Perinet, the soldier who, was, who by firing his revolver in the Chamber of Deputies on the 25th of February, forced the state to take notice of him and his grievances, has already had an imitator. While business was at its height this afternoon in the Paris Bourse, a strange man in the gallery drew attention by making apparently aimless demonstrations. Subsequently, he took a bottle containing an explosive liquid from a pocket and cast it down among the brokers upon the floor of the exchange, crying out as he did so, Viva Anarchy! The bottle struck no one, remained intact, and made no episode. A few speculators who were interrupted in their observations by the man's conduct swore at him and asked why the police did not remove him. The man then drew a revolver and shot three times down toward the main floor. He soon had the gallery to himself and continued to brandish his revolver and yell, Viva Anarchy! Tremendous excitement reigned for a while in the exchange, and all business was suspended. 
The disturber was soon seized and hurried from the place, but none too soon, as the crowd, when they recovered from their fright, became furious and sought the offender with cries of lynch. The prisoner is a man belonging evidently to the working class. Oh no, here we go. Mississippi Matters, the penitentiary lease, and the governor's message, a contrast of reports that leaves a painful impression of mismanagement, at least. And I have to tell you, these articles have been so painful, I think we're just going to do ourselves a favor, and we're just going to skip this. And wouldn't you know it, here's another article about that Mississippi penitentiary. So let's just get the gist of it, and then we're going to say we've had enough of that. The Senate Committee on Penitentiary and Prisons. Jackson Clarion. Stripped of all surplusage, the report of the Senate Committee on Penitentiary and Prisons makes the following points. One, that the governor and superintendent of the penitentiary had no authority to contract for improvements. Two, that if they had the power to contract, no contracts were in fact made. And three, that the prices paid under the alleged contracts were exorbitant. All else is matter of inducement. And this article is about those Mississippi penitentiaries, and it goes on and on and on. And I'm going to do us a favor and just say we have heard all about that that we want to for right now. Patrolman Sullivan made a haul out on Rayburn Avenue yesterday evening, capturing five crapshooters who were entered on the docket as T.C. Washington, Lawrence Scott, Dick Chapel, Watson Oliver, and Nash Dunlap. That's the crime news for the 6th of March, 1886. Please join us next time for another episode of Year of Crime, as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.